Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Lemony Snicket. That's a kind of weird name to say, huh, Pei? No. No? Oh, okay. That's a normal name. Sure. Book the Second, The Reptile Room, Chapter Three. I am very, very sorry to leave you hanging like that, but... As I was writing the tale of the Baudelaire orphans, I happened to look at the clock and realized I was running late for a formal dinner party given by a friend of mine, Madame de Lustro. Madame de Lustro is a good friend, an excellent detective, and a fine cook, but she flies on a, into a rage if you, even, if you arrive even five minutes later than her invitation states. So you understand that I had to dash off. You must have thought at the end of the previous chapter that Sonny was dead and that this was the terrible thing that happened to the Baudelaire's at Uncle Monty's house. But I promise you, Sonny survives that particular episode. It is Uncle Monty's, unfortunately, it is Uncle Monty, unfortunately, who will be dead, but not yet. Oh, that's so sad because he's so nice. As the fangs of the incredibly dead viper closed on Sonny's chin. What did I say? Dead. You said dead. Oh. The incredibly deadly viper closed on Sonny's chin. Violet and Klaus watched in horror as Sonny's eyes closed and her face grew quiet. Then, moving as suddenly as the snake, Sonny smiled brightly, opened her mouth, and bit that incredible deadly viper right on its tiny scaled nose. The snake let go of her chin, and Violet and Klaus could see that it had left barely a mark. The two older Baudelaire siblings looked at Uncle Monty and Uncle Monty looked back at them and laughed. His laughter bounced off the walls in the reptile room. Uncle Monty, what can we do? Klaus said in despair. Oh, I'm sorry, my dears, Uncle Monty said, wiping his eyes, wiping his eyes with his hands. You must, you must be very frightened, but the incredibly deadly viper is one of the least dangerous and most friendly creatures in the animal kingdom. Sonny has nothing to worry about, and neither do you. Klaus looked at his baby sister, who was still in arms as she was playing, as she playfully gave the incredibly deadly viper a big hug around its thick body, and he realized that Uncle Monty must be telling the truth. But then why is it called the incredibly deadly viper? Uncle Monty laughed again. It's a... A misnomer. What's that mean? A misnomer? Misnomer? It's like, it doesn't mean it's true. Oh. He said, using a word which means a very wrong name. Because I discovered it. Because I discovered it, I got to name it, remember? Don't tell anyone about the incredibly deadly viper because I'm going to present it to the Herpetological Society and give them a good scare before 
explaining that the snake is completely harmless. Lord knows they've teased me many times because of my name. Hello, hello, Montgomery, Montgomery, they say. How are you, Montgomery, Montgomery? But this at this year's conference, I'm going to get back with this prank. Uncle Monty drew... It's really sad because he won't be able to go. What do you mean? He dies. I know. Uncle Monty drew himself up with his full height to his full height and began talking in a silly scientific voice. Colleagues, I will say, I would like to introduce you to a new species, the incredibly deadly viper, which I found in the southwest forest of My God, it escaped! And just then, when all of my fellow herpetologists, herpetologists have jumped on their chairs and the tables were shrieking in fear, I'll tell them that the snake wouldn't hurt a fly. Won't that be hysterical? Violet and Klaus looked at each other and then began laughing, half in relief that their sister was unharmed, and half with amusement because they thought Uncle Monty's prank was a good one. Klaus put Sunny down on the floor, and the incredibly deadly viper followed, wiggling his tail affectionately around Sunny, the way you might put your arm around somebody whom you are fond of. Are there any snakes in the room that are dangerous, Violet said? Of course, Uncle Monty said. You can't study snakes for 40 years without encountering some dangerous ones. I have a whole cabinet of venom samples from every poisonous snake known to people. So I can study the ways in which these dangerous snakes work. There is a snake in this room whose venom is so deadly that your heart would stop before you'd even known he'd bitten you. There is a snake here who can open his mouth so wide it could swallow all of us together in one gulp. There's a pair of snakes in here who have learned to drive a car so recklessly that they would run you over in the street and never stop to apologize. But all of these snakes are in cages with much sturdier locks, and all of them can be handled safely when one has studied them enough. I promise that if you take the time to learn the facts, no harm will come to you in this reptile room. Here, there are... There is a certain type of situation which occurs all too often and which is occurring at this point in the story that the Baudelaire orphans called a dramatic irony. Simply put, dramatic irony is when a person makes a harmless remark and someone else who hears it knows exact, knows something that makes the remark have a different and unusually unpleasant meaning. For instance... If you were in a restaurant and, restaurant and said out loud, I can't wait to eat the Veer Marsala I ordered, and there were people around who knew that the Veer Marsala was poisoned and that you would die as soon as you took a bite, your situation would be one of dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is a cruel occurrence that is almost always upsetting. And I'm sorry to have it appear in this story, but Violet, Klaus, and Sunny have such unfortunate lives that it is only a matter of time before dramatic irony would rear its ugly head. As you and I listen to Uncle Monty tell three Baudelaire orphans that no harm will ever come to them in the reptile room, we shall be experiencing the strange feeling that accompanies the arrival of a dramatic irony. This feeling is un not unlike the sinking one, the sinking in one's stomach when one is in an elevator that suddenly goes down or when you're snug in bed and your closet door suddenly creaks open to reveal the person who has been hiding in there 
For no matter how safe and happy these three children felt, no matter how uncomfortable or how comforting Uncle Monty's words were, you and I know that soon Uncle Monty will be dead and the Baudelaire's will be miserable once again. During the week that followed, however, the Baudelaire's had a wonderful time in their new home. Each morning they woke up and dressed in the privacy of their very own rooms, which they had chosen and decorated to their liking. Violet had chosen a room that had an enormous window looking out onto the snake-shaped hedges on the front lawn. She thought such a view might inspire her when she is inventing things. Uncle Monty had allowed her to tack up large pieces of white paper on each wall so that she could sketch out her ideas, even if they came to her head in the middle of the night. Klaus had chosen a room with a cozy a clove in it. The word a clove here means a very, very small nook, just perfect for sitting and reading. With Uncle Monty's permission, he had carried up a large cushioned chair from the living room and placed it right above the occult, a clove under a heavy brass reading lamp. Each night, rather than reading in bed, he would curl himself up in the chair with a book from Uncle Monty's library, sometimes until morning. Sonny had chosen the room right between Violet's and Klaus's and filled it with small, hard objects from all over the house so she could bite them whenever she felt like it. There were also assorted toys for the incredibly deadly viper so that the two of them could play together whenever they wanted, within reason. But where the Baudelaire orphans most liked to be was the reptile room. Each morning... After breakfast, they would join Uncle Monty, who had already started work on the upcoming expedition. Violet sat at a table with the ropes, gears, and cages that made up different snake traps, learning how they worked, repairing them if they were broken, and occasionally making improvements to the to, improvements to make traps more comfortable for the snakes on their long journey from Peru to Uncle Monty's house. Klaus sat nearby reading his books on Peru. Uncle Mon- oh, reading his books on Peru that Uncle Monty had and taking notes on the pad of paper so that they could refer to them later. And Sonny sat on the floor biting a long rope into shorter pieces with great enthusiasm. But when the Baudelaire youngsters liked what they liked best was learning all about the reptiles from Uncle Monty. As they worked, he would show them an Alaskan cow lizard a long green creature that produced delicious milk. They met the d- dissonant, <laughs> dissonant toad, which meant which could imitate human speech into a gravely voice. Uncle Monty taught them how to handle the inky newt without getting its black dye all over their fingers and how to tell when the irascible python was grumpy and best left alone. He taught them not to give the green gimlet toad too much water and to never, under any circumstances, let the Virginia wolf snake near a typewriter. (laughs) That's weird, huh? While he was telling them about the different reptiles, Uncle Monty would often say a word here which means let the conversation veer off to the stories from his travel, describing the men, snakes, women, toads, children, and lizard he'd meet on his journey. And before too long, the Baudelaire orphans were telling Uncle Monty all about their own lives, eventually 
talking about their parents and how much they miss them. Uncle Monty was interested in the Baudelaire story as they were his, they as they were in his, and sometimes they got to talk so long, they scarcely had time to gobble down dinner before cramming themselves into Monty's tiny jeep and heading to the movies. One morning, however, when the three children finished their breakfast and went to the reptile room, they found not Uncle Monty, but a note from him. The note read as follows. Dear Bambini, I have gone into town to buy a few things, a few last things we need for the expedition. Peruvian was repellent. Wasp, oh my gosh, Peruvian wasp repellent. Toothbrushes, canned peaches, and a fireproof canoe. It will take a while to find peaches, so don't expect me back until dinner time. Stefano Gustav's replacement will arrive today by taxi. Please make him feel welcome. As you know, it is only two days until the expedition, so please work very, very hard today. Your giddy uncle, Monty. What does giddy mean? asked Violet when they finished reading the note. Dizzy and excited, Klaus said, having learned that word from a collection of poetry he'd read in first grade. I guess he, I guess he means excited about Prue, or maybe he's excited about his new assistant. Or maybe he's excited about us, said Violet. Kendall, said Sunny shrieked, which probably meant, or maybe he's excited about all of these things. I'm a little giddy myself, Klaus said. It's really fun to live with Uncle Monty. It certainly is, Violet agreed. After the fire, I thought we'd never be happy again, but our time here has been wonderful. I still miss our parents, though, Klaus said. No matter how nice Uncle Monty is, I wish we still lived at our real home. (sighs) Of course, Violet said quickly. She paused and slowly said out loud something she had been thinking about for the past few days. I think that we'll always miss our parents, but I think we can miss them without being miserable all at the same time. After all, they wouldn't want us to be miserable. Remember that time, Klaus said wistfully, when we were bored one rainy afternoon and all of us painted our toenails bright red? Yes, Violet said, grinning. I spilled some on the yellow chair. Argo, Sunny said quietly, which probably meant something like, and the stain never really came out. The Baudelaire orphans smiled at each other and without a word began to do today's wor- the day's work. For the rest of the morning... They worked quietly and steadily, realizing that their contentment here in Uncle Monty's house did not erase their parents' death, not at all, but at least it made them feel better about feeling so sad for a long time. It's unfortunate, of course, that this quiet, happy moment was the last one the children would have for quite some time, but there is nothing anyone can do about it now. Just when the Baudelaire's were beginning to think about lunch, they heard a car pull up in front of the house and toot its horn. The children, to the children, it signaled the arrival of Stefano. To us, it should signal the beginning of more misery. I expect that the new assistant, Klaus said, looking up from his big Peruvian book of small Peruvian snakes, I hope he's as nice as Monty. Me too, said Violet, opening and shutting the toad trap to make sure it worked smoothly. It would be unpleasant to travel to Peru with somebody who was boring or mean. Gurja, Sunny shrieked, which probably meant something like, well, let's go find out what Stefano's like. 
the Baudelaire's left the reptile room and walked out the front door to find a taxi parked next to the snake-shaped hedges. A very tall, thin man with a long beard and no eyebrows over his eyes was getting out of the back seat carrying a small black suitcase with a shiny silver padlock. I'm not going to give you a tip, the bearded man was saying to the driver in the taxi, because you talk too much. Not everyone wants to know about your new baby, you know. Oh, hello there. I'm Stefano, Dr. Montgomery's new assist assistant. How do you do? How do you do, Violet said as she approached him. There was something wheezy in his voice that seemed vaguely familiar. How do you do, Klaus said as he looked up at Stefano. There was something about his shiny eyes that seemed quite familiar. Huda, shrieked Sonny. Stefano wasn't wearing any socks, and, Stefano, and Sonny, crawling on the ground, could see his bare ankle between his pants and his shoes. There on his ankle was something that was most familiar. The Baudelaire orphans all realized at the same time this, that, and took a step back, as you might from a growling dog. This man wasn't Stefano, no matter what he called himself. The three children looked at Uncle Monty's new assistant, who from head to toe saw that he was nothing other than Count Olaf. He may have shaved his off one long eyebrow and grown a beard over his scraggly chin, but there was no way he could hide the tattoo of an eye on his ankle. That is so creepy, huh, Peyton? Oh, she ditched us. She's asleep. All right, goodbye.